Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Jeff Kanata. And Christy Puchko. Welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, what we're going to do here on today's podcast is we got some what we've been watching uh, to discuss with you, and then we're going to move on into an in-depth review of The Happy Time Murders. The Happy Time Murders. Now, I know what a lot of you guys are thinking right now, uh, which is, why are we reviewing The Happy Time Murders today? Uh, and, I mean, there's many reasons, you know, <laughs> circumstance, uh, the vagaries of fate uh, is, you know, these are these are some of the reasons. Uh, but also, mainly, it's because Searching was only playing in a few theaters uh, this week. And so we were going to review Searching, but it actually was not convenient for me to see Searching. Uh, and so it was only playing in a few theaters. That said, that said... Uh, it seems that uh, films led by Asian people are having a really big summer. Uh, I- I'm going to say a number or percentage, and that percentage is 6%, which is the amount that Crazy Rich Asians dropped from weekend one to weekend two. Now, which that is, is unheard of. It is basically unprecedented in modern times. I mean, for those who don't follow box office, typically a movie will open – and then drop anywhere between you know thirty five to seventy five percent in its second weekend, depending on how front loaded it is or how how good it is. If it's not a very good film, it'll drop more. If it's pretty good, it'll drop less. Dropping six percent, I, I think this is basically unprecedented since uh, like I, I saw some numbers thrown around online, like Forrest Gump. Uh, when Forrest Gump came out, it might have experienced a similar drop. Avatar, the James Cameron film, uh, might have experienced a similar drop. You know, like uh, right. it, it's almost unheard of for a movie to drop this little of a percent, and that means Crazy Rich Asians right now is heading towards a one hundred fifty to two hundred million dollar domestic total, which is just absolutely insane. Uh, I was pretty worried that uh, you know the whole hashtag Gold Open movement would result in there being a huge drop second weekend because you have all these people signing up to buy out theaters, including myself. And I was worried, like, second weekend, you know, you're not going to have hundreds of people buying out theaters. The movie's not going to do as well. But, in fact, that didn't happen at all. And uh, the movie seems to be catching on with the mainstream in a big way. Uh, Christy, have you had a chance to see Crazy Rich Asians yet? I have not because I uh, was going on vacation when this press screening was happening and then I was on vacation uh, so I was basically hanging out with, uh, little, little children that would probably not sit still for crazy rich agents. So <laughs> I'm hoping to see it this week. I read the book while I was on vacation though. Oh, so nice. I'm very excited. Yeah, it was great. I've been meaning to read it for a while and I finally had the time and I like the characters and I'm really excited to see how they've been adapted. And I've been reading a lot about it. Like, obviously I know the plot cause I read the book. So I've been reading a lot of the takes and stuff and I'm excited to see it. I'm, I might go see it this week is the plan. Awesome. Um, yeah, uh, I think it's definitely catching on with the book club crowd, um, people who have read the book and want to check out the movie because it's uh, fairly buzzy at the moment. So, sure. Also, I just love John Chu's stuff. Like he just he makes movies that I think I would not want to see. Great. So I'm you know the fact that I was already interested in the story. Like he's awesome. I think his GI Joe Retaliation is hilarious and way funner than it had any right to be. And I even liked his Gem movie. Which Ooh. I know is apparently super controversial, but like it was, it was really spirited and fun, and it was a nice take on a character I really like growing up. So yeah, I, I'm excited to see what he does with this. 
Yeah, and um, as you may or may not know, he took a huge bet. Like he got offered millions of dollars up front to make this movie for Netflix. He turned it down to go with a conventional theatrical release. And I was really hoping and praying it would pay off for him and his collaborators, and it looks like it did in a big way. So just really excited about Crazy Rich Asians doing super well. And if uh, the summer movie wager lasted an additional week, uh, it would almost definitely be in the top ten for the summer. So that is pretty crazy if you think about it. Uh, And speaking of movies that are doing really well, uh, so Searching, I I mentioned it a few moments ago, the John Cho vehicle – uh, is doing really well in limited release. It made $360,000 uh, this past huh. weekend, which is $40,000 per theater. That's uh, also a really significant amount, and uh, looking forward to seeing that movie expand wider this next weekend. I will be out to support that film, and uh, I hope you guys have a chance to check it out as well. Um, so, yeah, a lot of... Uh, Great uh, news for people who are looking for uh, more diversity at the box office, uh, not only this summer, but this year overall. It's been really lovely to see. And um, also to All the Boys I Loved Before is killing it on Netflix. Yeah. I, I had a friend who's probably actually lis- listening to this right now who watched that movie five times since it came out. It's um, addictive. I watched it at like <laughs> they I had access ahead of time so I could write a review of it and I really enjoyed it. And then once it came out, like I, I honestly every night I just want to turn it on again. Because like not only is it a really sweet and adorable love story, uh, that's very kind of fluffy and fun. It reminds me a lot of like Ten Things I Hate About You. It has that kind of energy. But uh, it's beautiful. Like watching it a second time, I got to kind of just kick back and look at the visuals in a way that I didn't have to the first time or I didn't wasn't able to the first time because I was trying to follow the story. And like the the cinematography and the lighting and the staging, the framing, it's just really a gorgeous movie. Like not just for like a Netflix movie or not for just for a rom-com. It's a really beautiful movie. So like, yeah, I'd say watch that one on repeat. Watch it once for, you know, your heart. And then again, just for your eyes. Mm. Uh, so the movie's To All the Boys I Loved Before. It's on Netflix right now. Uh, so... Guys, we're coming down to the final days of the summer movie wager, and in last week's episode, we talked about the Meg, which may or may not be a huge disruptive force in the wager. And My understanding is the wager is still anyone's game, right? We're all still in it, and it could, it could go any way at this point. Uh, <laughs> that's a very optimistic way of looking at the facts, Jeff. Um, <laughs> but uh, but so, in fact... Uh, it's not over till the to the fat lady sings. It's uh, bottom of the ninth. Uh, anything it can still happen? Anything? Uh, yeah, no? none of those. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, still maybe win this? You can still win. Uh, it's it's definitely going to be a close one, and uh, it, it, it's really going to come down to a couple million dollars at the box office and a couple points is really what is going to decide uh, you know the victor of this year's summer movie wager, which you can play along with at thesummermoviewager.com. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it has been an unpredictable summer guys in terms of what we thought would do well and what has actually, uh, done well. Uh, for instance, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, most of us probably would not have predicted that the Meg, uh, might outgross, I don't know, many other movies this summer, um, that we, we might not have predicted also that Ant-Man would do better than Solo, a Star Wars story. You know, did not mm-hmm. see that yeah. one coming. Wow. Um, but uh, Disney any- eating its own lunch. Mm, 
Mm. Yeah, Disney eating its own lunch with uh, with Solo Star Wars Story and Ant-Man. I mean, th- that's just, y- y- you know, five years ago, one year ago, you would not have been able to predict that outcome. Um, so crazy times of box office. But last week on the show, uh, I talked about the Meg. I read an email from a listener who wrote in to slashfilmcast.gmail.com talking about the Meg. And on this podcast, we typically pride ourselves on being really careful about spoilers and not necessarily avoiding spoilers, but simply being really clear about when spoilers are coming. And this is something that I deeply respect and uh, that we've taken seriously for the entire life of this show, which has lasted over 10 years now. Uh, And I got a ton of – or not a ton, but several very angry emails that – we're pissed off that I had seemingly uh, spoiled the Meg during th- the opening segment of our show last week. And not and just so, that, it's kind of the only thing in the Meg to spoil. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to say <laughs> what it is I said on the show because I, I don't know, re-spoil people. I will just say that uh, I did not, you know... I did not think that it was a spoiler, you know, given if you know how movies work and if you're watching the Meg, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to be as vague as possible. But all that said, uh, many of you clearly thought it was a spoiler. I, uh, you know, I just wanted to say I apologize if I in any way negatively impacted your viewing of the Meg. Um, So we'll try to be more vigilant about that in the future. But, uh, yeah, just wanted to say sorry about that, and uh, thanks for putting your trust in us when it comes to spoilers in general. So, anyway, all that said, why don't we move on to what we've been watching this week? We've got a few things to mention. Christy Puchko, what have you been watching this week? Well, I was playing catch-up a little bit to some things that I missed because of festivals or traveling for work or vacation. So I finally got to see Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. And I am super excited because, like, when I went away on vacation, I discovered that my little nieces, who are, like, literal toddlers, are really into the movie Mamma Mia because they like singing and dancing and ABBA is magic. And so, like, I and, like, no one told me at first that they were into Mamma Mia. It basically, I kept catching them singing snippets of the songs, which is hilarious and weird to hear, like, you know, one of them's, like, three and one of them's, like, 18 months. And, like, all of a sudden, the little one would just be, like, money, money, money. I was, like, what is going on right now? And then the older one was trying to sing, uh, like, voulez-vous. It was a whole thing. So then we actually, like, watched it, which was super fun. And we danced around to it, which was super fun. And I was, like, totally ready to go see the sequel. But... Uh, it was beautiful weather, so we weren't going to go to the movies. When I came home, I finally got to go with my husband, and I was all anxious because I was like, well, this movie's been out for over a month, and I don't want to go to a theater where like people are like not really into it, and this is such a bummer. We should have gone sooner, and I was like really nervous about it. But the upside to that is there were only a few screenings in New York because the movie's been out for over a month. And uh, so we went to the only screening at this one theater and it was packed. It was a totally packed audience. Everybody was super excited. People were like talking a lot ahead of the movie, which made me very nervous. I was just like, we're not going to talk during the movie, right? We're all going to be cool and listen to Mamma Mia because I'm here to listen to people sing ABBA. And everybody was actually super chill. Like as soon as the movie started, like everybody was just in it, including like the children that were sitting next to me and my husband. Uh, and it was just really funny because they were just so into it and like literally like gasping and like cheering and giggling. And it was just such a fun experience. I'm so glad I got to see it like in theaters. Uh, and yeah, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again is sort of a sequel and a prequel because it takes place five years after the last movie, but also like 
25 years before because it tells the story of how Donna met the guys and it tells the story of what comes next in their story. And I, I just found it so charming, so much fun. And um, I'm going to forget the lead's name. I want to say Lily. Oh, it's a Lily. It's one of the Lilies, the one from Cinderella. I have this written down somewhere. Hold on. Um, it's Lily James. Yes. So Lily James plays young Meryl Streep in this, basically. And she's so, so much fun in this. And she's just she just comes to life. And the song numbers are great. And like all the disco clothes and all, everything glittery is so much fun. Uh, and they bring everybody back from the first one. And then Cher shows up. I mean, I like it's hard to explain how much fun this movie is. And it's just so whimsical and beautiful. And it made me want to go to Greece. Uh, so we did the next best thing. We went to this really like this really well reputed Greek restaurant in, uh, in New York afterwards. Like this place is so known that you basically just know you're going to have to wait for an hour to get in. Uh, and it's not like a big or fancy place. It's just, they know they do their stuff. And so my husband and I waited for our an hour, we went to another bar and got a drink, put in our whatever. And like, then we just gorged on Greek food and it was just like such a wonderful night. So, uh, yeah, Mamma Mia 2 is just, it's just totally delightful. And I want to watch Christine Baranski and all the things always. But uh, the woman who plays the younger version of her in this is called Jessica Keenan Wynn. And like just nails all of Baranski's like mannerisms. And it's just it's so fun. Like <laughs> Christine Baranski is such a diva in everything she does. And this movie really leans into that. And you get to see the younger version of her, which is so fun. And there's one part where she uh, addresses a man she's flirting with his I, I I like you visually and it just it's just so funny and like there were children there and yes this is a movie about a girl who like hooks up with three different men and doesn't know who the father is but just like Mamma Mia like that's all so tongue-in-cheek and suggestive that like the little kids next to us had no idea that you know what dot 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 meant and stuff like that so um yeah I would say that if your kids just really like music then they could probably go see this too um, I say that as someone who does not have children, so grain of salt or whatever. But uh, Mamma Mia 2, or Mamma Mia, here we go again. Super fun. They have some of the songs from the first one as like reprisals, and then they sing some lesser-known ABBA songs. But I think the way they're integrated was really fun and beautiful, and just it just made me really happy. Like I was just super stoked. Um, yeah, I don't know. I felt great. It was an awesome way to spend part of my weekend. That is awesome to hear. I've heard the movie is a ton of fun. Uh even though I've heard like the the plot is kind of weird and the the ages of the characters don't really oh yeah up. no none of that makes sense I mean <laughs> like because like if you're paying like attention to that then like Meryl Streep is probably supposed to be like maybe fifty in the first movie maybe like maybe younger it's none of the ages make sense and like Cher is too young in IRL to be Meryl Streep's mom and I just don't care like <laughs> Cher's in this movie let's all just be grateful Cher is in this movie and it's so great because she shows up and you know she's gonna sing because they won't have Cher show up for her not to sing and like the way they introduce it is I won't say in case you are someone who has not even seen the videos they've released online or whatever but they like introduce one word and you know what the song is gonna be and like it was so fun to hear everybody in the theater just be like, <gasps> like, oh, my God, here it comes. We're going to hear Cher sing ABBA. And it was just it was so much fun. Oh, one other thing I wanted to throw out is Hugh Skinner plays young Colin Firth in this movie. And I know Hugh Skinner from the Windsors where he plays <laughs> Prince William. And it made me rewatch all of the Windsors again because he's just so funny. But like he has a song number where he does Waterloo, which is very funny, especially because like 
his character is supposed to be like a headbanger, quote unquote. And like, even in the first Bohemia, that made no sense. Or you're like, in what world was like young Colin Firth a headbanger? But they actually made that make sense. We were like, yeah, sure, he's a headbanger. But it's like the most like jaunty gentleman Britishman who's like wearing the teeniest leather jacket. I had so much fun with it. There's just and I oh, if you go stay for after the credits, because it's not exactly like an after credit scene. It's more kind of like a blooper. But it's just really delightful. And I'm super glad I stayed through the credits for it. You awesome. know what they call young Colin Firth? Colin Firth. Oh, no. No, that was that was pretty. Rough. I no. hear crickets. Do you hear crickets? Is that just on my end? No, I hear the sound of my inevitable death. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> um, then I then I have done my job. Uh, I would like to relate to the the thing you started off with, uh, Christy, which is uh, sitting down in a theater and hearing everyone talking and having agita about the impending movie starting. Yep. Like uh, I I. Get so I try to take the temperature of my audience, and I get so worried. That's why I hate assigned seating because I don't know when I pick those numbers who I'm going to get stuck near. Right? Oh, are, are you a mover? Are you going to be like? Are you going to? Are you going to make a point to move yeah. as a as a sort of silent? If I'm by myself, I will. If I'm with someone else, like I don't like to make someone else uncomfortable. But like for myself, I'm like, like I don't, I don't care. I need to get away from you. I, I yeah, moved I the other. Day. I actually point. moved during Happy Time Murders. I think because do you, um, do you pointedly move as a as a communication of like I want you to see that I'm moving away from you because you are too loud. I mean, oh, I actually, don't uh, make uh, a no. production about it. I just move because like I don't like. They've made it clear they don't give a shit about me, but I don't need to make like a thing about it. I yeah, just, I, I, I don't make don't a big thing about it, but anything. let's just say let's just say if they noticed, I wouldn't mind. And also, I, by I'm the, curious, like, am I supposed to pantomime and be like harumph? And like, I mean, there, there's you know, there's a way to move. Yeah, that communicates I am moving because you are a problem. I yeah. uh, I went to go see. Um, uh, it actually, it wasn't Happy Time Murders. I'm remembering it now. I went to go see Mad Max Fury Road black and chrome version uh mm-hmm. and which is an amazing cinematic experience and this guy next to me kept taking out his phone and mm-hmm. uh and I, I just got up and moved and like you know I, I literally just moved two seats down to my right. right so the guy knew that it was i mean he probably could have assumed that it was because he was being an asshole with his phone sure, sure. um but i also want to point out that i was with someone <laughs> and uh je- did you tell them where you were gonna move or you were just like i'm out well, generally, anytime I go to see a movie with someone and the seating is not assigned, um, they know that me moving is a possibility. <laughs> like when, I, when I'm going with a friend or whatever, uh, I just let them know, hey, like FYI, if I'm like surrounded by assholes, I'm going to move and I'll just meet you after the movie's over. And, see, my uh, friends are assholes, so that's the problem. Mm, mm. Well, anyway, this is the cost of seeing a movie with David Chen. I'm just uh, letting you guys know <laughs> is that there's a huge chance – that David Chen might just flee uh, your current seating location. So yeah, you never. It's hard to ha- see a David Chen for more than a, a few minutes at a time. He's constantly always, fleeing. Yeah, like before the movie, but not during. I think it's just because I get very in my own head about I don't want to be a further distraction, and so I instead will like contort my body so that I don't have to see someone's screen. Oh, I started. I started with that, Christy. I started with the contortions. No. 
You know, I say I, I'm a I'm a excuse me. I'm, I'm that guy. <laughs> I, I am Self the one that's always officer. afraid someone's gonna lose their cool. Like I I don't want to be in a newspaper because they're like some girl told some guy to shut up during a movie and you know he shot her or whatever. Mm. Like anytime I see one of those stories, it just it lodges in my brain. So I'm just you kind of what? like I would rather just be uncomfortable and annoyed for a little bit because mm, I've just. Fair, but at I least if that's the way I have to go. They'll be able to say he died doing what he loved. That's true. Yelling like, at people in a movie theater. To turn their damn cell phones off in a movie theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, when I went to see Velvet Goldmine, someone was taking their phone out and taking photos of the screen during, and I, I was losing my mind. Like, And that's at Lincoln Center. Like, have some decorum. Like, yeah. you're not at, like, an AMC or some junk theater. Like, oh, that made me so angry. That was you. an example <laughs> where... Uh, Spoken like a non-member of the A-list. Yeah. That's all there's I'm saying. Two, I'm telling you, man. Yeah, there's, there's two A-list members <laughs> present. <laughs> We're not doing this again. I'm not having this conversation again. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, like, you know, it's like, it's like, that's an art house theater. I was astonished. And also, it was Velvet Goldmine. That movie's been out for 20 years. Any screen grab she's taking is online. Like, it was uh it made me so angry so in that 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 situation uh she was sitting 10 rows in front of me that's just it's a phone it's a flashlight in the theater so i was just i actually slumped down in my seat just so i couldn't see her anymore because there's really no other solution except like unless i went to get an usher but if i go to get an usher like i gotta leave this movie that i have spent 20 years wanting to see on the big screen you know what i mean like when it came out, like I was not, I it wasn't playing anywhere I lived, so like I didn't want to miss anything, and that's what really bothers me is like, you know, I shouldn't have to leave the theater because someone else is being a jerk. So I just try to kind of uh, accommodate myself as best I can without making further disturbances. But you know, I don't that that comes from like me not wanting to have a confrontation with people, and from me having worked in movie theaters and not liking to deal with like, because in my experience, if someone's using their phone, they really don't give a shit if they're bothering anybody else. Yeah, I think it really it, the the reserve seating really is a double edged sword, in my opinion, right? Because on the one hand, you show up to the theater, you can show up like late, basically, and and mm -hmm. you know get in during the trailers and not need to worry about where your seat is. But if you are seated next to a person who's being inconsiderate, you you do feel very much locked into that scenario, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it, it, it's uh, it's you know. I think uh, both approaches have their ups and downs, uh, but really the overall message and takeaway here should be just don't be an asshole while you're watching movies, people. Don't take out your phone. Don't talk. Stick to those rules and you will solve 99% of problems people have in theaters. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Anyway, Christy Pachka, what else have you been watching this week? So the other thing I caught up on this weekend was uh, I watched the Windsors and then I was like, God, what else is like the Windsors? Like what's so funny and so silly and so high energy is like that. And Mamma Mia too. Like I wanted to keep this like euphoria going. Uh, and I remembered that trial and error had a second season that I hadn't watched at all. And uh, it's all on Hulu. And so my husband and I binged that this weekend over a couple of nights and it's so good. That show, like, as you guys know, I'm very into true crime, but when it comes to true crime parody, I'm not into very much. I, a lot of it just makes me very uncomfortable because you are effectively joking about like real things and that that's it, it makes me uneasy. And I don't know why Trial by Error doesn't. Maybe it's because they make it all so heightened and also ludicrous. But like the first season was basically a parody of The Staircase. And the second season is working in elements from the Jinx and from S-Town and from Serial. 
And uh, it's really, really wild. It, the premise that they set up in the first, like the very first scene of the very first episode, so this is not a spoiler, is that Kristen Chenoweth plays like the most like beloved, richest woman in town. And she is found with her husband's corpse in her trunk. And uh, she insists that, that, that she didn't know it was there. <laughs> And then, like, the guy from the first season uh, decides that he's going to defend her like he defended Larry. And, you know, we're off to the races again with a lot of the same familiar characters from last time and a lot of uh, kind of similar jokes of, like, you know, him fighting with the DA and his uh, assistant who has every kind of malady you can imagine to, like, a comedic end. And it was just really funny and really wild. And I just had such a blast. And then once I got through the whole season, I realized that um, they're on Hulu within the show. There's something called M town and it's basically a serial podcast, but it's referencing S town. Um, But you can actually listen to the podcast on Hulu. Like they created episodes of this fictional podcast that's about the show and it was really fun i listened to a bunch of them and it's like there's more there's some recapping stuff but there's also like a lot of new jokes and a lot of like interviews with the uh characters and it's just such a fun and inventive and really weird look at uh this kind of true crime and and how the cases work but it's i don't know it just really really delights me uh i have heard this is a lot of fun um i think gina chen uh recommended this to me on twitter after i'd finished watching the staircase uh, and so, yeah, I'm looking forward to checking it out. The show is Trial by Error, and uh, you watch season two on Hulu. Apparently, you can watch season two without having seen season one, is what I've been told. Yeah, um, there. I mean, there's like some reference to season one, but the stories are are self-contained. Uh, like they'll reference back to season one a little bit just to tell you where the characters are. Like because the guy who was the focus of that character, they'll tell you a little bit about where he's at now. But I mean, you don't really uh, like. Yeah, if you watch season two, it'll quote unquote spoil the end of season one, but season one's so much fun anyway and it's not available on hulu so if you're gonna watch something watch season two uh yeah so you don't need to see season one to get into season two they'll they'll kind of catch you up but it's such a fun show it reminds me of pushing daisies uh which probably also right but also probably the fact that Kristen chenoweth is in it it just has this very daffy sense of humor and this very smart sense of humor and there's all these like visual jokes that you really have to be watching to catch um and you know, it's basically like my husband and I were watching it while I was like doing a craft project and he was playing like video games on his computer and one of us would bark laugh and then the other one would look up and be like, what did I miss? And we kept rewinding it. So it's not like the smartest way to watch stuff. But, you know, it was a weekend. Um, so, yeah, I highly recommend uh, all of these things that I have mentioned for like, you know, I just wanted some end of summer fun and they were all amazing for that. Cool. Uh, Mamma Mia, here we go again in Trial by Error Season 2. Jeff Kanata, you been watching anything this week? I I have not. Uh, honestly, uh, I had my my son's two year birthday party, uh, uh, which was full of preparation and madhouse cleaning and family coming into town. And on top of that, uh, there's a new World of Warcraft expansion, which means every uh, my life is over. There's a World of Warcraft expansion. It means I'm a poor father now. All I care about is my level 120 Windwalker monk and uh, raising his eye level and grinding rep. And, uh, you know, powering my Azerite armor. That's all I care about now. Um, so things to watch have, have uh, fallen by the wayside. But I, I, shall, uh, I shall come back strong next week with uh, having watched something. All right. All right. Sounds good. Uh, I'll just mention a couple quick things before we get to our review. First of all, actually, I didn't put this in the notes, but as I mentioned, 
Uh, I did have a chance to go see Mad Max Fury Road Black and Chrome. Have any of you seen the Black and Chrome version? Mm-mm. No. Oh, um, well, first of all, I think it comes with the like the digital copy of Mad Max Fury Road. If you buy it on iTunes or whatever, uh, it comes with the Black and Chrome version, I believe. I'm not 100% you, sure about that. I believe you are the person that would know because my understanding is that you have purchased Fury Road six times now? Um, How many times, I think I've purchased it – I want to say three times. I think mm-hmm. I've – well, first I think a listener hooked me up with a digital code. Then I bought a Blu-ray and then I bought the 4K Blu-ray I think is what has happened. Um, and then I've also seen the film in theaters four times including most recently at the Seattle Cinerama. Uh, that is like one cubic Mission Impossible is my understanding, right? <laughs> yes. One cubic Mission Impossible That's uh, according correct. to the Chin scale. That's right. That's right. Very good. Very good. I like the scale that you're creating uh, right now, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> the Seattle Cinerama, amazing theater. It has a uh, 4K projector. It's like it's something about like one of the first uh, 4K projectors in the country or something. It's 4K 3D projectors. Uh, I'm going to find the information right now. Uh, it is the, the world's first commercial 4K laser projector that has a light output of up to 60,000 lumens. Uh, so it will it, blind you just by watching a movie. You will be functionally blind. It is amazing. And so this past summer, they announced three kind of film festivals in a row. Uh, there's the Sound and Vision Film Festival, the Summer Rewind Film Festival, and then the 70 Millimeter Film Festival. And uh, all of them have really interesting movies. Uh, my wife and I debated long and hard about which ones we should go see, and I think we're going to go see uh, Dunkirk in 70 Millimeter. Uh, we're going to go see Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, we're seeing Gravity 3D tomorrow. And I also went to see uh, Mad Max Fear of Road Black and Chrome. Uh, apparently, the Cinerama is the reason why Black and Chrome was released theatrically. They asked for it once they knew it existed. It's George Miller's preferred way of watching the film. And uh, so, anyway, I just wanted to give a shout out to the Black and Chrome version. It, it feels grittier. It uh, allows you to kind of pay more attention to the composition, in my opinion, because when you only have you know monochrome, uh, you focus on the things that uh, you, you're less distracted when you're watching the movie by pesky things like color. Um, it's a great experience, and Mad Max Fury Road is still an awesome movie. So I uh, wanted to give a shout out for that. And uh, do check out... Uh, what the Cinerama is playing at Cinerama.com. One weird thing, by the way, that I wanted to throw out is as part of their 70mm film festival, they're playing Back to the Future Part 2, but not Part 1. And someone asked them about this on Twitter, and they said, uh, well, it just goes to show you kind of the sad state of what's available in 70mm right now, which I thought was really sad, that they mm-hmm. could only get Back to the Future Part 2 and not Part 1. Um, so yeah, I mean, like a lot of times in New York, I know that the prints that they actually show around here are prints that, like, honestly, a lot of the time Martin Scorsese owns and lends out. Right. Yeah. So sometimes, like, that's literally who they're getting stuff from is collectors like Scorsese who have taken it upon themselves to preserve those things. And we know that Scorsese only liked Back to the Future Part Two. He hated one and three. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I just don't know if you can. Sh- you know, I actually did see Back to the Future. I don't remember if it was a seventy millimeter print. Uh, I, I don't know, but I saw it um, several years ago. There's a theater. There was a theater here called the Ziegfeld that used to be like a proper like theater, uh, like that they would do Ziegfeld's Follies and all that kind of stuff. And then it was a beautiful movie theater. And they used to do re- revival theaters uh, or uh, screenings. And like I saw Back to the Future there and Temple of Doom and The Birds and Gone with the Wind and Lawrence of Arabia. When I saw that there, 
um, we were like two and a half hours into the movie and the film broke. And like it, that's actually 70 millimeter and their projectionist, like it's a very rare print and their projectionist was like, I'm not touching this. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know what to do with this. So they came out and they're like, we're very sorry. We'll give you your money back. And one guy stood up and said, hang on a second. I'm a film editor. And then people jumped up on either <laughs> side of him and he said, these are my assistants. Can we take a look at it? <laughs> and like, the, the the ushers like I guess and so they all go back and you just hear people talking to each other and like it's literally the last night they're showing it so if they can't fix this like yeah we can come see something else but this is this is it this is what we're doing here they come and, back down and they're like um there's no avid board up there I don't know how to there's no final cut pro I don't know how to, what's going on I I mean like you know even when I was in school they they trained us on I didn't cut 70 millimeter but we did physically cut film um, and a lot of, I used to work in post-production, a lot of the editors that I worked with, like that was how they all started out. So, um, I was really excited. I don't, I don't know that he ever cut 70 millimeter, but my guess is that his thought was like, I can cut 35 millimeter. I can cut 16. I'm sure I can do 70. So he went back there and we all just kind of sat nervously. And then a couple of minutes later, he comes back and he's holding this thing in his hands. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, the glory of 70 millimeter. And they let him keep the part he cut out so that they could put the film back together. Mm. And the film started back up, and we finished watching Florence of Arabia, and it was amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to watching that film myself in 70 millimeter. It'll be my first time uh, seeing that movie on the big screen, so very excited about that. Uh, it, what's also interesting, by the way, is you can go and scroll down. Like I'm at the site right now at Cinerama.com, and this uh, this theater has 546 tickets per screening. It's just one big screen, and you can kind of scroll down and see how many seats are left like it just shows you on the site how many seats are left it's fascinating to see what movies are most popular at this film festival um so back to the future 2 unfortunately is not doing very well uh most of them have over 400 seats available uh we're living it (laughs) lawrence of arabia uh has like 100 seats left so it's doing very well um phantom thread has over 400 seats available i think it's because that movie just came out in theaters um but then like basically Every screening of 2001 A Space Odyssey is uh, almost completely sold out. This is the new, quote-unquote, unrestored print. I don't know if you guys have heard of that one. Um, so uh, I'm bummed not to be able to check that out. But, uh, yeah, anyway, it's just kind of like seeing how many things are sold out just gives you like a, a gauge as to how popular these um, these specialty screenings are. So kind of interesting. Check it out at Cinerama.com. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention before we move on, and uh, I had a chance to watch this new Netflix show, Magic for Humans. Oh, I'm guys very this? interested in this. Yeah. I saw it, but I didn't click to see what it was about. Uh, yeah, so I uh, I saw it, and I was doing some uh, photo editing on Sunday morning, and uh, sometimes I like to have something playing in the background, you know, uh, even if it's like a movie I've seen or something on Netflix or whatever or Amazon – um, and I just like having voices in the background, something going on, because it distracts me from the fact that uh, we are all hurtling through space, you know, alone in the universe. And uh, I turn on Magic for Humans, thinking, oh, you know, I, I, I consider myself a, a, a bit of a connoisseur. Like, I've watched a ton of magic specials and um, have gone to see many magic shows in real, uh, in real life, in person, because I'm, I'm a huge fan. I respect the art form. Uh, but this looked kind of silly and p- potentially lame. Uh, and I was extremely pleasantly surprised. I'm going to start off by saying that if Jeff Kanata was really good at magic, 
mm. uh, this is the magic show that he would make. Oh, uh, now I'm interested. The first episode begins with uh, him having like a bunch of uh, – the, the magician having a bunch of balloons. Wait, and wait, wait. Before, he, before you describe any more, yeah. I'm so curious with it, from our audience whether that description – People think is a good thing. Yeah. Or a bad well, thing. I'm about to tell you exactly what that means, Jeff. So, <laughs> I Justin, know, but I just wanted to pause for a second and let people decide in their own minds whether me being good at magic and having a show means it's a good show, yeah. or a bad show. Place your bets now. Dave is going to tell us what he thinks. <laughs> I'm curious. So, uh, the first episode begins. The first trick is the magician Justin Willman goes up to some randos in the street and he has this huge bunch of balloons, right? And he he convinces this you know bystanders to hand him his phone, uh, their phone, right? And he ties this you know the bystanders' phone to this huge thing of balloons, and then launches it into the sky. And he says, "Hey, uh, I'm backing your phone up to the cloud." Ah, that's good. I'm like backing that. your phone up to the cloud. It's in the cloud now. Magical puns. I'm into this. It's in the cloud. Uh, and I was like. God damn, this is a joke that Jeff Canato would make. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, later on, he reproduces the phone somewhere you don't expect, and it's very amusing. Uh, I'm going to say this. I, I thought the show is an absolute delight. I actually marathoned the entire thing on Sunday. I watched every episode. It's like, I think it's six 30-minute episodes. So it's just a guy doing street magic? It's uh, a lot of street magic, some things set up in a studio... Uh, and the the illusions that he does are uh, like what what I like about it is uh, that there many of them not all of them but many of them are shot in a way that makes it feel like they cannot be faked like a lot of them are done in one long continuous shot which uh, in my opinion is absolutely crucial to convincing the audience that this was not done with editing trickery. And uh-huh. so there's many many tricks that are done in one long continuous shot or where you see enough of the trick in one shot that you know he couldn't have done it via editing. Um, and so, yeah, I, th- I thought this was delightful. I thought the, uh, the guy, Justin Willman, was engaging. And if you like that kind of humor, he's funny. <laughs> um, and, uh, and the tricks, like many of the tricks, seem pretty innovative. So I'd recommend this. If you're even mildly into magic, it's very fun. Um, I, yeah, it's on Netflix right now. It's Magic for Humans. Check it out. Jeff Kanata, awesome. you, you should watch it, and uh, I'd be interested to see what you, yeah. if you if you think this is like your long lost brother doing this show. The, uh, the phones appear in the pocket of Colin Firth. No, okay. Uh, I'm I'm curious. Actually, you bring up a really interesting point about. Um, I guess we're already in the era of so many special effects, so much uh, camera work that we are used to anything being possible on a screen, any screen. Um, so I, I wonder if we're already past the point where magic uh, as a television special, as a, as a experience watching on a screen is inherently less impressive or there are, are there, it requires other ways to convey the surprise because, you know, you talk about one continuous shot, I, you know, we can all name, Half a dozen movies are at the top of our heads that use one continuous shot that we know were shot over 40, 50 different shot takes, you know? Yeah. So uh, it's it's trivial at this point to fake any of that. And um, I wonder if, if there will be a point where even just conveying the idea of magic on a screen will 
become pointless. But I, but we may be already past that. So I, I think we might already be past it. You know, I was talking with Peter Soretta, who is, you know, a, a, a magician. Like, he, yeah, he is a magician, a, a yeah. legit magician, and. Uh, he was saying he's afraid that the tricks look so impossible people will think they are fake, like using camera tricks or using uh, stooges. Uh, And I think that's a real danger with this show. Like I I showed this to a few friends this week, uh, some of my favorite tricks, and they're like, there's no way. There's just no way that's actually possible, you know? Mm. Um, Well, I mean, I think that's why magic is – you know, is so much more impressive live yeah. and maybe right. it will become an art that just lives as a live medium at some point, but maybe that, or maybe these are just advertisements for a live experience, you know? I don't know. I mean, I feel like we'll always have both anyway, because it's, it's really about being caught up in the moment and in the showmanship. And you look at Penn and Teller, they've been doing magic live and on TV for years and actually taught people how they do the tricks and it hasn't spoiled the effect. They're still, stellar to see i actually got to see them in vegas and they do one trick that was so involved and just so dizzying and like i'm sure that like on tv it would lose something because you would assume that they cut away or something but you know a a big part of that i mean even now when you watch like those talent shows or whatever um like america's got talent like there's there's a lot of not necessarily magic, but kind of vaudeville style things like magic or whatever, like contortionist acts. And there was one video that went viral of guys spitting at each other, which I know doesn't sound like anything we're talking about. But there's a sense of showmanship to all of these things that I think can still be captured in a unique way. Um, well, the, the genius of Penn and Teller, too, is is if you look at their most recent foray into televised magic, they are they had a brilliant idea, which is... I'm talking about fool us now. The brilliant Mm -hmm. idea is we're the audience. And the contract that we've made with the viewer is that we aren't in on it. And because every single week it's the, you watch the same audience, watch each of these magicians and try to figure it out. You know that there isn't, they aren't, uh, uh, plants, you know, that you know that they aren't being, that their reaction to the live experience as filmed is authentic because they are the they are the constant, right? They are their trust that they're asking for from the audience is, hey, we're not in on this, and because that's the premise of the show, it works. And I think that's a kind of a brilliant way to use the medium itself to get back what it may have lost because it's on that medium. Yeah, no, that's, right. that's a great point, Jeff. Uh, a couple of reactions I have to what you guys are saying. Um, first of all, I think you're watching him do street magic in in uh, magic for humans you're watching him do street magic to random bystanders and it's really their reaction to what he's doing that is selling the trick right mm. because you know the fact that someone is freaking the heck out about what this guy's doing then it's like it's got to be real now of course that can be faked they can be actors and, and often is yeah oh, and they often know, are and so you, yeah as the viewer you just have to trust that there's no like deception going on there, uh, and yeah, there there is there is a lot to what you're saying, Jeff. Like maybe that trust just is not there anymore. It's it's being eroded by so many people pulling tricks where the audience is in on it, or they're doing fancy editing or fancy CG or whatever. Uh, I think I think that's a that's a great point. But here's another thing, you know, Alfonso Cuaron who did uh, Gravity, right? That movie Gravity is like what eight shots or something ridiculous like that. I'm I'm exaggerating, but. The reason he shot Gravity in the way he did was because he's like, I want this to, I want this to imitate like uh, footage uh, that you saw from NASA of of people in space, right? 
where you have this uninterrupted feed of like a 45 minute long video of this ship like landing because that's the way the the camera transmitted it to the television and he wants to feel like that uh i think we need a gravity for magicians right something that's like all the whole thing is like one long continuous shot it's like fixed shot in one place um you need it like a musical yeah like something... i mean in musicals today we cut and cut and cut so that you get the sense of drama but if you look back at stuff like gene kelly and fred astaire's they stuck to long takes and they stuck to wide frames to really show you the physicality of what was going on and that it was really happening and it wasn't just a bunch of takes. And, you know, like Chicago is an amazing musical movie, but you lose a lot of how much the hard work is involved because of all the quick cuts they're doing. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? I would say that uh, La La Land actually did a lot to bring the style of musical you're talking about back to the big screen. Like many of those yeah. uh, musical numbers done in one long continuous shot. So Yeah, um, but with people who like can dance okay for actors. <laughs> Fair enough. There are some shortcomings, but I like I like where they were going with it. You know, like the opening musical number all done in one long shot. No, I it's, get what you mean. Yeah. The, the opening number musical number is amazing because they actually yeah. got like they actually got musical theater people, but like La La Land Sticks in my craw a little. Yeah, fair. No, that's a completely fair reaction. It totally stuck in my craw as well. Anyway, magic well, you for you. Before we move to our review of the Happy Time Murders, we want to thank all the people that donated to the show this week. Um, thanks to new subscribers, Joseph Josen, Heather Foster, who signed up to donate at a generous amount per month. Thanks also to donors, Peter V, who sent me a lovely note of support this week, and also Todd from Australia. Cody O. from Brooklyn, New York, donated as well, and he wrote in the following. Thank you all so much for the work that goes into making this podcast. My best friend and I have been listening for a very long time. We always talk to each other about the most recent episode and make an effort to see the movies you cover. Neither of us are independently wealthy, but we have derived so much joy from this podcast that I wanted to support the show for his birthday on his behalf. If you could give him a shout-out, I'd really appreciate it. His name is Jordan Balaber. Jordan Balaber. Shout Happy out birthday, Jordan. Jordan! Yes. I also I'm not a hundred percent sure I'm pronouncing Balaber correctly. Do you guys see that in the show notes? Is that yeah, it looks I think like Balaber because you yeah. think like Balaban. And yeah, it looks like that. That's, that's exactly. Balaber. Balaber. I don't Balaber, think that's yeah. the way to go. Yeah. Balaber is probably right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, thanks again. Anyway, for... hope he have a happy birthday as we mispronounce his name. Yeah. Whatever your name is, Jordan. Happy birthday. Um. So uh, thanks again for your hard work and dedication, end quote. That comes from Cody from Brooklyn, New York. Thanks so much for all your contributions. Uh, if you want to support this podcast, go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash filmcast. Uh, you can also go to slashfilm.com, use the slash filmcast tab, and uh, use the PayPal links on the side of the page. All the money you donate does go to help us uh, defray the cost of seeing movies, putting on the show. You guys, I was on the Film Spotting podcast this past week, filmspotting.net, and uh, love that podcast. It's been a big inspiration for me. And they also have donations. And something that uh, Adam Kempinar, one of the hosts, says during the donation segment, which I was like, oh, man, we should really say that from now on. Uh, he says, uh, do not donate to the show if it in any way uh, hurts you financially uh, or, or if it like in any way makes your life less convenient or something along those lines, if it affects your livelihood in any way. Uh, and I thought that was a really good message that we also believe in here and we want to send uh, to anyone who's even thinking about donating to us. So I'll try to figure out a better way to say that regularly from now on. But yes, thanks to everyone who donated. Um, but of course, uh, your listenership is more than enough. Uh, if you want to rate us on iTunes or wherever else you find your podcasts, uh, also would be really appreciated. Uh, do not donate uh, if it in any way affects your livelihood but we appreciate all the people who do 
All right, let's move on to our review of the Happy Time Murders. 50 cents, I'll suck your dick. <laughs> well, it's a great price. It almost makes me wish I had a dick for you to suck. Oh, I'll take that as a yes. You two are the most decorated offices in this department. What do you see? Looks like a robbery gone wrong to me. This wasn't a robbery, this was a hit. Welcome. Someone out there <gasps> is killing puppets. Hey, handsome. You looking for some rotten cotton? I'm a woman. That's okay. That's even better. Got a good time for you. (laughs) That was from the trailer of The Happy Time Murders. Uh, This film was directed by Brian Henson. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. When the puppet cast of an 80s children's TV show begin to get murdered one by one, a disgraced LAPD detective turned private eye puppet takes on the case. Uh, this movie didn't do very well at the box office this weekend. I think it only made around $10 million, which is the lowest opening weekend ever for a Melissa McCarthy star vehicle. Uh, wow. Even if, Yeah, it, it's probably heading for uh, $30 million domestic, uh, which is not good considering the budget was around $40 million. It's basically Despite a Despite all those, all those puppets that were buying out theaters to try to help it, it uh, just didn't work. did not work out for them. Well, I mean, it's actually the opposite. I don't know if you guys heard about this. Sesame Street sued the film uh, because the Happy Time Murders used the tagline in their posters, No Sesame, All Street. Did you guys hear about this? Yeah, no well, Sesame, you still see it on the poster. Yeah. yeah, No Sesame, All Street. And Sesame Street was like, we don't want to be associated with this movie at all. Um, so they uh, claimed that the marketing uh, campaign created public confusion about whether Sesame Street was involved. But uh, in it's a bummer uh, that a Sesame Street would sue Brian Henson. Mm. It just feels wrong, doesn't it? Everything associated with this film is sad. Uh, but yes, U- <laughs> U.S. District Judge Vernon Broderick uh, said that the slogan is actually a quote-unquote humorous, pithy way to distinguish Happy Time Murders from the beloved children's show. Uh, I'm reading from a Time Magazine article about the subject. So uh, Happy Time Murders got to keep uh, the tagline on their poster. I mean, that does make sense. What they're saying is we are definitely not Sesame Street. Yes, yes. They they definitely are saying that. I think Sesame Street just didn't even want the whiff of (laughs) Sesame Street. Well, totally, because if a kid sees that trailer and they see Sesame and they see puppets. Yes, exactly That's an awkward conversation. Exactly right. So... Apparently, this movie uh, took many, many years to get made. Uh, And so my question for you, Christy Puchko, is was all that time spent trying to develop this movie and bring it to the big screen worth it? God, no. God, no, it was not. So (laughs) I I have been reading about this movie for like 10 years. And it has bounced around. And there was one part where like Charlie Theron was supposed to be the female lead. And then, uh, oh, what's her name? The girl from Grey's Anatomy. She and she's been in a bunch of bad movies. Uh, Heigl? Yes, thank no uh, Heigl. Yes, Catherine. Catherine, Catherine Heigl. Catherine Heigl. Uh, she was signed on at some point. And like, what's so weird to me about this movie is it does feel like a movie that they've been working on for ten years, and that some of the jokes just feel dusty. And then like other, but then other parts of it feel weirdly overwritten. Like I, I just I I I I wanted to enjoy this movie so much and i have had people write to me when they saw my negative review and say oh but i really love the muppets and i'm like cool cool me too like 
Like literally, you know, Jim Henson was why I became obsessed with movies because he would not only make amazing movies, but then he would make specials about how he made those movies. And like, you know, I have all these books on Muppets and they're like, I've gone to the special exhibit at the Museum of Moving Image a bunch of times. Like my husband and I, when we first met, connected over Muppets. Like I'm a diehard Muppet fan. This movie is still really bad and upsetting. (laughs) Um, And it's not because it's like Muppets doing R-rated material. Like I... I think that that could have worked. I just don't think this does work. Like, I marvel because Brian Henson has made some really hilarious and great Muppet movies. He made A Christmas Carol. He made Muppet Treasure Island, which I think is tons of fun. Like, I don't understand. This movie, it's like he... The comedy beats just do not work. The story beats are tedious. Like, I... It's just such a failure on almost every level. And like Melissa McCarthy, I like and think is very funny. But like when she works with her husband, there is this, I don't know. Like when Ben Falcone is involved, it's like neither one of them knows how to edit each other. I don't, I don't presume to understand what happens there, but like he's, they're both producers on this movie and he has like a cameo. And to me, it's like a big red flag. Like I just, I don't understand how this movie is so bad. Hmm. All right, yeah, and you can read Christy's review of this movie at pajaba.com. She wrote, The Happy Time Murders is so bad, it's a crime. That's the the title of the review. We'll link to it in the show notes. Jeff Kanata, very curious to hear what you thought of this movie. Hmm. Because it seems like the humor is right up your alley. No, I'm just joking. I'm not seeing that. Yeah, now, now, yeah, that's a little, that's getting a little. (laughs) It's hurtful? It's a little hurtful. Yeah. You know, I I try to bring joy. Sorry, I try Um, to put your feelings, Colin. First, yeah, now you're in it. Yeah, man. <laughs> wow. See, see, now we're all feeling joy. Isn't it great? Yeah, that at least that joke, like that's some fun wordplay. I'll give you that. And no, at least it no. doesn't like hurt my soul. That no, joke. it should it should hurt your soul. But okay, Jeff, continue. So here's the thing about Happy Time Murders. Um, I think it is a tragedy because the idea of an R-rated movie with puppets and humans interacting in a shared world is an idea I love is an idea that has so much potential, but it's also an idea you only get one shot at. You only get to try it once. You only get to get the R rating and the money to make the R rated Muppet, not Muppet puppet, uh, puppet human hybrid film comedy (laughs) one time. Maybe once every generation, once every 20 years or so. And it's so sad that this is this was the swing. This was the at bat that they got because there are a lot of really great things about this movie. There are a lot of really great almost ideas. The execution is just so poor. And you think these are the people that you would want making this movie. I I know – uh, Brian Henson has a has an improv group that does really off color uh, Muppet puppet improv around L.A. Here, I've seen him a couple of times. It's really funny. It's called Puppet Up, uh, and you know th- he obviously knows how to make m- puppet movies and has a dark sense of humor. You would think wanting to make this movie for so many years, you'd really make sure your at bat was strong, but <sighs> there. <laughs> There are so many things that are good about this, right? The the world building, 
almost is yeah. there. It's it's super cool to have. The first 20 minutes, I was really interested. Maybe not the first 20, maybe the first 10. But, like, the setup is really great. Right. And, and you have, like, all of these wonderful shots of a city with just, like, puppet extras in the background. You know, humans and puppets interacting. It's, it's a world that is teeming with life of, of real human beings and puppets. And it re- they sell that idea that's the expense and the effort that it takes to put a puppet interacting with a human. They don't just do it in the foreground, right? The whole world is there. And then they try they, – they make some feeble attempts to create a mythology or a, uh, you know, a lore around Muppets. But it's so – dumb and it, it it doesn't hold together there's no internal logic and that's what i wanted i wanted that like give me that cool internal logic a lot of people comparing this movie to who framed roger rabbit right there's a great example of a movie that is bonkers but has an internal logic that you can buy into and you understand the tunes and the toontown and and the humans and how they interact also just on the pure writing level on a pure plot level if you're going to do a movie that is a mystery, maybe have the mystery be interesting in any way. <laughs> or make an iota of sense. Make an iota of sense, have the payoff. Like maybe, I don't know. I don't know. I've never written a mystery, murder mystery before, but work backwards from the payoff maybe. I don't know. I think that's maybe how some people do it is that the payoff is really cool and then you build out what ha- – I don't know. It is – we are along for this ride – and there are weird jokes along the way that like, yeah, go for it, man. Go crazy. Go weird. Go vulgar even. I'll, I'm, I'm with you if your world makes sense and if the, the ride that I'm on, if the diversions off the, the ride can be as wacky and weird as you want as long as the ride gets me somewhere. They, they, this ride is so bad and so poorly conceived and so poorly executed None of the characters make any sense at all. The central relationship between the puppet protagonist, and it really is the puppet story. We hear his voiceover carrying us through the the tale and his central uh, antagonist slash cohort, um, uh, McCarthy, Melissa McCarthy, uh, their relationship I don't buy at all. And that's really the, the whole thing this movie needs to revolve around is like who are they to each other how does that relationship change and morph at a certain point it's even worse than that we are told over and over and over again over and over again that the main character of this movie the puppet is the greatest detective ever people just keep saying that he's the best detective the force has ever seen he's the greatest detective oh man when he was around he was the greatest person and there is zero evidence of that. There is zero. It is only because characters tell us that. But he does absolutely nothing to earn it in the movie or to prove to us that he's, you know, got any skill whatsoever in solving anything. Stuff happens at him or near him all the time in wild coincidences that has nothing to do with his ability to put clues together. It is. It's such a shame because there are fun uh, ideas, the idea that puppets are this oppressed minority. Like there's something there. Yes, that's happened many times. I think that's the subplot of bright and many, many other things. Alien nation did it 
30 years ago. Yes, it's been done before, but there's actually something there if you give a shit about talking, actually making it into something. But it's like a throwaway thing that makes that has no relevance to anything we're watching. So this movie to me is just the utmost in wasted potential. And you only get one shot at this, right? Nobody's going to make an R-rated puppet movie for many, many years because you're squandering it. And it, it makes me very sad because it could have been cool. All right. Uh, I mean, I agree with you guys. I think uh, the movie is not very funny. Fun- humor is a very subjective thing, right? I mean, maybe I didn't find As it funny. We, we've, I believe we've established that in this episode already. Yeah. We? <laughs> <Very> <laughs> we've really laid the groundwork on that. Yeah. We, yeah. Yeah. No, it was all it was all leading up to this, ladies and gentlemen. That's exactly why. <laughs> You're that whole, welcome. That was what the whole painful, painful, awkward silence uh, was about. Uh I am very tired of this whole, you know, aliens or, uh, you know, uh, garden gnomes or whatever the hell it was in Bright or puppets representing this underclass uh, or racial minority. Um, Particularly when the films they're in have nothing to say about that subject. Right. I I don't know that it has any commentary whatsoever on, uh, you know, like if – puppets were black people or if puppets were you know any other minority it it just doesn't like it just doesn't i I don't know what the movie's trying to say there is this really bizarre concept of puppets bleaching themselves to become more white looking but it's like one throwaway moment that never nothing comes of it 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 is so bizarre and yeah, there's like a lot of things about like because the one brother or whatever, I, I don't want to get super into spoilers, but you're right. There's all these elements about the idea that puppets are treated as a second class. It's like a very big part of the first act. But then it's like that fades into the background. And I think that's a shame because to me, that was one of the more potentially interesting things they were setting up. And also like the key focal point of like the the protagonist dis, uh, like uh, dispirited sense of humor or sense of you know, on we was that he feels like puppets are treated like crap and there's nothing that no one can do anything about it. And he's a detective who's trying to fight for the felt as he puts it. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. So he's like valiant and valiant where he's like, they, they used to fight for the, the uh, cartoons or for the tunes. And then, but then it's like, he doesn't really, it seems like he's only actually working for puppets because that's who comes to him as a client because otherwise he's, he's just a puppet and no humans respect puppets basically like it's just so weird and they keep using the word sock as a slur and it's just it's an interesting element that is not developed in any meaningful way and what they choose to do instead is a lot of shock tactic humor but i feel like they peak with that at the porn shop which is like the beginning of act two so then what are we doing? Like, it's just such a... I, I, it, I think that's actually, like, the beginning of the film you're talking about, um, the porn shop stuff. Well, I mean, uh, it's like the inciting incident, right? Yeah. So Yeah, yeah. Oh, fair enough. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think... Let's just put a moratorium on that for movies okay, like that... that's fair. That, uh, well, I, I'm talking about that, that concept, like, movies, stop oh. doing that until uh, you have something interesting to say about uh, race or... You know, societal relations between different classes or whatever. I mean, I think this movie is interesting because you you look at other shows and properties that do this well. Uh, first of all, I've heard Meet the Feebles is quite quite good. The Peter Jackson movie. I've never seen that movie, but I've heard it's that it is, is exa- 
somebody else referenced that. I haven't seen it either, but somebody was like, I was complaining about this to a friend and he was yeah. like, meet the feebles. Got to see that. Yeah. Uh, but I've heard that's like a quite, you know, good puppet movie. That's kind of, uh, more R rated than the normal way you see puppets. Uh, I think about shows like Bojack Horseman or, mm. uh, yes. Greg Team the Bunny, um, Team America. Right. Mm-hmm. And like how they deploy the concept of, uh, in the case of Bojack Horseman, you know, things that aren't humans living with humans and like using that as a nonstop source of humor and puns uh, in ways that are actually like witty, I think, you know, like right. th- there's a lot of wit to that show that you don't see in this movie, which kind of relies more on things just being filthy, right? Things being disgusting and filthy. That's kind of what's so frustrating is like, you know, we had Team America World Police. We had the Greg the Bunny series. Like people have been toying with the idea of like, what if cute, cuddly puppets, but gross for a while. And like the me for me, the big thing is, and like what Jeff was talking about, of like you can only have this big swing once. Like watching this, I was like, how is Avenue Q not had a movie yet, but this got made? Like it Mm. just... I don't understand because like Avenue Q for those who are not familiar was like a Broadway show. I think it actually may still be playing Broadway, but uh, it's basically Sesame Street, but for adults. So there's like a song called Everybody's a Little Bit Racist. There's another one that is explicitly about sex uh, called I think it's called You Can Be As Loud As Hell As You Want When You're Making Love. It's been a while since I've listened to it, Um, but like and that's just puppets having sex. So like. You know, you can do these things, but that had a whole purpose. Like, there's a whole story, and, like, the interactions of the puppet and the people were really thoughtfully done. And, like, this is just, it's just, I don't know, it was just such a bummer. Like, you know, there's a scene where Elizabeth, uh, uh, I'm sorry, it's late. Banks, thank you, uh, is a stripper for puppets. Like, she's a human stripper, but for puppets, and... I felt like that could have been interesting, but the way they went with it was like kind of nonsensical and the least interesting thing you could do with it. And it just felt a lot of that. Like a lot of setups felt like wasted opportunities. And I felt like there must have been a pitch meeting where Brian Henson's like, first they go to a porn shop, then they go to a stripper club. And like, okay, but like, what happens? What are the jokes? And it just feels like that stuff was still getting figured out because a lot of the jokes feel like they're riffing and they're not good riffs. Well, like yeah, the, first of all, a lot of the humor feels very obvious, as I think is what, you know, one of the things you're hinting at, right, is that the the jokes don't feel like not, they're... Not even pre- obvious, but, like, there's, like, a running joke of uh, of Melissa McCarthy, people mistaking her for a man. Right. Just assuming she's a man, and I'm like, I is that funny? Like, I don't... Like, she doesn't look She doesn't look like mannish. a man, that, you know, particularly in the movie. Right. Um, and I, it's like, but they keep acting like this is a hilarious joke where everybody's, like, calling her sir and stuff. And I'm like, because she wears pants. When is this movie set? Like, I don't, under, I don't understand how that was a callback. Like, how is that worthy of our time repeatedly? And then, like, another running joke is just asshole says what? And then the other guy goes, what? And then they laugh at him. And I'm like, that is literally, like, a joke you learn when you're, like, eight <laughs> you know what I mean? Like maybe yeah. you don't say asshole, but it's just such a. It's like how is that a joke in a movie in 2018, and it's not being done like with a self awareness? Yeah, it's literally no. supposed to be a funny joke. Completely agree. Do you get? Do you guys ever see that Brian De Palma movie, The Black Dahlia? Sure. Which is a, mm-hmm. like a pretty pretty terrible film, in my opinion. Cannot wait to see how you relate this to puppets. Yeah, so yeah, I'm very eager. The, I, I guess uh, when you were saying like everyone just thinks Melissa McCarthy's a man in this film, uh, <laughs> in, in The Black Dahlia. Every character in that film thinks that Hilary Swank and Scarlett Johansson look exactly alike. 
You know, and uh, like every character is like, oh my gosh, you look identical to Scarlett Johansson. I'm just like, these people look nothing alike. You know, uh, that's kind of how I felt. You know, I got a Black Dahlia flashback watching uh, Happy Time Murders. Just putting that out there. Uh, but uh, in addition to the humor not being very good, like you said, Christy, a lot of it is just Melissa McCarthy riffing. And the the problem is, like, I just something about the timing with puppets is just difficult to riff with puppets. Do you know? I think like the way it's edited, the way it's shot, because because of the way you need to frame these characters, right? Uh, something about it, just the timing feels off. Uh, and I mean, I agree with you, the timing's off, but I feel like that's a Brian Henson issue and not a puppets issue. And uh, so when I was, I feel like I mentioned this on the show once before. When I was in college, I got to intern at Sesame Street once. And uh, one day I got to see Frank Oz and Kevin Clash being Grover and Elmo for a Sesame Street thing. And it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. Uh, in between takes, the two of them would joke around and they were very quick witted. And like they're so used to playing those puppets that they can respond to anything. I mean, you've seen it on talk shows and stuff, too. Like those there's, performers- a, there's great there's some great YouTube videos if, of, of test shots for the Muppet movie. Yeah, and that Frank stuff's Oz, not supposed to get out. Yeah, Frank Oz and Jim Henson are like literally just out in the woods, and they just shut set of cameras uh, in front of trees and stuff, and it's just them doing camera tests for the puppets, but they're just improvising, and it's kind of dirty and kind of fun, but it is so funny, so funny. Right, and it's like I so I just wanted to having that bit of insight. I disagree with. I don't think the issue is that you have a human interacting with a puppet. I think it's just bad improv, and I think that it's just that when they were cutting this together, there was like no sense of comedy, like because even the scenes, like the you've you've hit the pinnacle of the joke, and the scene keeps going, and I'm like, what are we doing? Like, because the scenes just go on until there's not even a button anymore, mm. and like. I, I like initially when I first walked out of it, I was bummed out and I was like, well, if it had had a tighter edit, they could have saved this. But then the more I sat with it, the more I was like, but the plot doesn't even hang together in any kind of sensible way. And the characters don't make sense in connection with each other. And like it just started making me really angry because we pointed out that there's no chemistry between the puppet. Uh, Phil Phillips is his name, which also just if, I'll get back to this in a sec. But there's no chemistry between him and the Melissa McCarthy character because they're both the same type of character. They're both a, the loner, disgraced cop who like goes out on her own and breaks the rules and whatever. And I'm like, it is not interesting to see two characters that do the exact same thing. Like this is like an odd couple where you cast two of the same people, right? And then we're like, I don't get why it's not working. It's like because there's no the conflict is just them butting heads and making the same dumb decisions. Like it, but yeah, there's then no, on there's top no of that, Riggs and Murtaugh kind of right. Dichotomy. There's no. Yeah. Right, because she's not like she's not the kind of cop. It's not, it's not even like the Heat, another cop comedy where she's very funny. Where like one character's like, I need to be by the book all the way, and the other one's like, No, I just do my own thing. Like that would have been an interesting dynamic, but both of them are just all about breaking the rules. And you're like, What? How are any of you good at your job ever? Because we keep hearing about this. What a great team they were, and I'm like, Based on what? Like it's just very frustrating. And then like. Even the character Phil Phillips, like I wrote about this a little bit in my review, he's just not interesting because when we think of Muppets, we think of exaggerated emotions and mugging and arm flailing. And like the counter thing to that is that Phil is a noir style detective. So he's supposed to be like Bogart or something where he's withdrawn and he's guarded and he's, you know, world weary and that is not interesting in a puppet because it just means that he kind of stares dead eyed and occasionally flips someone the bird. Like there's not a lot of energy coming from the character. 
And so it's not really fun to watch him, especially because just everything he comes across, he's over. So, like, it kind of puts a damper on, you know, like, for instance, let's say the first act at the porn shop. If you're interested in all the weird things that are going on in that porn shop, he's kind of just a wet blanket because he's just like, oh, tentacle porn. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, and I think on that note, it's also the the set like theoretically, the movie feels in some ways like it wants to be a satire. When you watch Team America: World Police, that is a satire of uh, both you know American imperialism, but also like a, a fun parody of action movies. And mm-hmm. this movie feels like it's trying to be a send up of uh, d- detective films, right? Um, but instead it, it is closer to something like the naked gun, uh, which isn't trying to really say anything, uh, but it's not as funny as the naked gun. You know, it's, it's right. feels like it's trying to be a satire, but it fails completely in the satire aspect. And instead all you're left spoof. with is a bunch of just like not super funny jokes. So, uh, the humor just really doesn't work. Unfortunately, any closing thoughts on this one, guys, I don't even think we need to do spoilers. It's just, you know. With that character, The Simpsons, that's like, why are you? No, he's already dead. Like, let's do we even need to continue beating the dead horse? I ain't even mad at this movie, right? It just makes me sad because I I think this is a cool concept. It's a really cool concept. There's no reason this should have been a murder mystery. It could have been a much more interesting plot. They, they, it didn't seem like they were interested in making an effective murder mystery plot. It just felt like a weird trope to hang your jokes on. And there, I laughed out loud a few times, but very few. And, uh, you know, th- there are baffling things. That, I mean, we're not going to do spoilers. So I would say that the, the reveal makes no sense based on any of the actions of the person who turns out to be the bad guy. Uh, I would, there is a, uh, a, this sort of m- puppet world building thing where, sugar is like their cocaine mm-hmm. which i don't I, I guess i don't understand that like th- <laughs> that doesn't make any that's based on what we know about puppets that doesn't make any sense right yeah. i guess because they're they're sweet characters or they're supposed to be so cute and cuddly that sugar is the th- it you you know with you make a great comparison dave with bojack horseman where it that show continually finds new ways to mine what is a very basic idea. You know, it co- constantly, in in very simple ways, in very quick ways, and in very deep ways, it imagines what a world where anthropomorphized animals and humans coexist, and it constantly thinks through what that would be and mines humor from it. You know, the mailman is a bird or what, you know, whatever it is in Bojack. They do n- numerous versions of that. And what you would want out of this movie is to do the same. You go, okay, think through it. And they go, oh, that's cool. Well, if, you know, if you have this uh, subjugated underclass, yeah, okay, call him socks. That's funny because, you know, uh, Kermit started out as a sock. We, th- okay, I'm with you. That It may not be the most brilliant thing in the world, but at least you're kind of taking the premise and thinking it through to its logical conclusion. But getting to sugar is their cocaine doesn't it make any sense. It is not a logical uh, conclusion from that premise. And there's a lot of things like that where they just 
throw stuff at a board, it seems, uh, rather yeah. than actually being clever about the established premise. And I think that to me is that the big part of of the missed opportunity is is you ha- you you knew what you wanted, you just didn't execute on it. <sighs> it's exasperating to me because I actually do think the murder mystery thing could have worked with a puppet. It's just that. I feel like they would have had to have followed it more like I keep going back to Roger Rabbit, but like in Roger Rabbit, you could have the human be the gruff detective and then have the cartoon character be a cartoon character. Like it would have been way funnier to have a human cop and then have to rely on like, you know, a puppet that is going to be a puppet and is going to be freaked out by stuff and is going to like, you know, snort glitter and sugar when it's upset and like freak out whatever like that would have been funny to see them have to interact with puppets being crazy like that but like so many of the puppets are just dark weird flat like stereotypes from noirs that it's just like oh you know it'd be funny what if a puppet was a junkie and you're like oh what's he do and like oh he's a junkie <laughs> okay, that's the, that's the joke. Like that's how the movie kept feeling, yeah. where it's like they give you a setup, and I'm like, "What are we doing?" Oh, nothing. Literally nothing. Cool. Yep. And then yep. the scene would end. So I'm just I'm really bummed. This was if you can check and see on Pajaba. This was on my list of most anticipated movies of 2018. I was really looking forward to this. I hoped that all of the years of it bouncing around was because people just were afraid to take a risk on it, and not because the content was bad. But uh, it's bad. It's pretty bad. And I feel like at some point we'll start hearing stories about how this went so wrong. But uh, we're not there yet. So you can just speculate wildly. All right. Well, that's our review of The Happy Time Murders. Huge bummer all around, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, both in terms of the movie itself, how bad it did at the box office, uh, our conversation about it. Just really all bums me out, guys. We're trying to save you guys. What you should see instead is Mamma Mia 2, where here we go again. All right, there you go. Because the puppets in that movie are so... I mean, they they kind of behave like... No? They do. Uh, No, honestly, they're joyful like Muppets. You should totally go see it. They sing, they dance, they do silliness. It's great. Find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast.gmail.com. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper when we have it comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Christy Puchko, where can we find more of your work on the internet this week? I write all over the web, but you can find my career highlights at DeccanCriminals.com. And I write for Pajiba every day at Pajiba.com. And I'm on Twitter at Christy Puchko, K-R-I-S-T-Y-P-U-C-H-K-O. And keep an eye out because I have some really exciting stuff that I can't talk about yet, but it's coming soon. Ooh, interesting. How about you, Jeff Kanata? I have exciting stuff <laughs> I can't talk about also. Yeah, mm. totally, Dave. Yeah. Oh, that's not what you were asking. Yeah. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I do a show about video games that you can listen to. It's called DLC, and you can find it at 5by5.tv slash DLC. Find all my stuff at DaveChen.net. I am off Twitter until Twitter makes some different decisions about the content and what's on its platform. Uh, subscribe to my newsletter at DaveChen.net slash letters. Next week, we'll be reviewing uh, Searching. Searching is going to be the movie we're going to be reviewing next week. I've heard it's great. Looking forward to talking about it. Um, hope everyone has a happy Labor Day weekend. We'll see you later. We watch the-